It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. inside our radio booth as we're coming to you from American Family Field. This is from the Braves Booth Podcast, episode number 25, alongside Joe Simpson and our producer engineer, Jonathan Chadwick. Ben Ingram here with you on a very chilly day here in Milwaukee. The roof is currently open. Can't imagine that'll be the case later this evening when we get to the uh, first pitch of the ball game because it is 53 degrees right now. But uh, I don't know that it was this cold when we were here in, in October, Joe. I don't think it was, Ben, um, but even if it was the roof was closed for both games and for all the workouts and everything so uh maybe we just didn't notice yeah maybe so and uh, it'll be game two braves and the brewers tonight last night a really rough one braves lost one nothing but a bunch of strikeouts in that ball game and the braves just had a really frustrating night at the plate against the brewers then tonight we'll see what what uh takes place Braves trying to turn it around tonight in the second game versus milwaukee our email address is bravesbooth at gmail.com you can always email us even if we're several days away from recording another podcast go ahead and get your question in and we'll uh, be able to line that up and have it on the next podcast so here we are joe uh game number two in this series it's a road trip that'll see the braves face the brewers and the marlins and one thing is for certain before you can even start thinking about winning some baseball games you got to quit the uh the strikeouts that's the biggest issue right now yeah let's go back first though ben let's go back to the homestand uh where the braves faced uh boston they also saw uh these brewers of course and san diego uh with with boston it was a two-game series but you had to go through nathan evaldi for one of those right he's a strikeout artist uh for the brewers we already have talked about how good this staff is and who the braves have faced who and who they have beaten uh, but they've got to go through them again. Uh, as we saw last night, Freddie Peralta was as good as I have ever seen him and as good, I think, as anybody we've seen this year. And then San Diego runs their best three guys out there at the Braves. So it is a really tough stretch for Atlanta hitting. And it's, uh, I guess, exacerbated by all these strikeouts. You say, what's wrong? When are they going to get out of this? Well, part of that has to do with uh, having to deal with this, this really good pitching. Now, am I making excuses for them? I'm trying not to. There are some adjustments you got to make. You got to start doing. You got to uh, just try to make uh, the adjustments to put the ball in play when you get behind in the count, in particular. The one thing, the one thing that bothers me the most is how many fastballs are being taken down the middle, either for strike three or strike one, even. Right. Uh, I don't understand that. And whatever the plan is, if they're working on a plan, uh, typically it's get on that fastball early against a good pitcher. You know, you don't want to get deep in the counter. You're, gonna, you're in bad shape if you're 0-2 or 1-2. Uh, so I, if there's one thing that I'd like uh, 
to know or question, it would be that. Yeah, I think so, too. I think that coupled with some of the errors that we've seen. Because last season, we saw this team go through stretches where strikeouts could take place. I mean, this is a a free-swinging bunch. They were last year. They have been to this point this season. But we weren't used to seeing the errors. And the Braves are getting very good pitching. We're seeing some really good outings from some good good pitchers. And you just hate seeing that. Uh, when, when they get the ground ball that they're looking for and you don't turn two or you don't make the play all together, that, that to me has been the most surprising thing that I've seen through almost 40 games of the season is the shaky defensively. Yeah, like the hitting. We, these guys are better hitters than what we're seeing right now. Defensively, this team is much better defensively than what we're seeing right now. I haven't uh, seen this team make this kind of rash of errors in a very long time. And, um, you know, sometimes it's, it's not scored an error. But like you said, the inability to turn a double play, you know how I get on my soapbox about shifting and how it eliminates many opportunities to turn double plays. And I hang my hat on that quite often. But um, this team is a better defensive ball club. I see how hard they work every day before the game with Ron Washington. Uh, on their defensive skills. So I, I'm not as troubled by that as I am about the hitting. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I think when it comes to the strikeouts, the, the place where I hold hope is, number one, we've not seen a healthy Ronald Acuna in terms of him being there every single day. He's in there tonight, so that's good. And I think having him healthy and in there every single day will help, especially at the top of the order. I just can't believe that this is what we're going to see from Adam Duvall the rest of the season. We didn't see this last year. He would go through stretches of strikeouts, but he's still giving you a home run. He's still driving in runs, that kind of thing. We haven't seen that from him. So I can't believe that this is who he's going to be the rest of the season. You need another left-handed stick. And once Eddie Rosario gets back, Hopefully this eye procedure that he had will correct a lot of the issues he was having in the first few weeks of the season because I've never seen him that off before. Uh, And and I know that that the player that we saw the end of last season, uh, that's what I hope to see when he comes back after that procedure. So what I'm saying is, is, yes, there have been strikeouts. Yes, it's been frustrating. But I can't believe that it would continue like this so long as I get Acuna back healthy and Rosario back healthy and Duvall turns back into Adam Duvall and so on and so forth. Yeah, and Ronald, you know, playing like Ronald plays with his hair on fire was a real great, you know, plug-in for this ball club offensively when he came back. But then he doesn't play the next day. Or he plays two days and doesn't play for two days. It, it, there's kind of a, uh, a miss in the engine here. You know, it's not hitting on all cylinders when he's not able physically to play every day. When that happens, I think there's going to be a definite infusion of energy mm-hmm. and of some instant offense at the top of the order for Atlanta. And he's in there today, uh, which is good news. He's the DH today, tonight. Uh, you mentioned Duvall. I, I don't know. We were talking about him. We were walking in the ballpark tonight. He's a real mystery right now to a lot of people uh, because of his struggles. And he's hitting eighth in the lineup today. This is a guy that led the National League in RBIs last year. He's hitting eighth in the Braves lineup tonight because of his struggles. He, he ought to be hitting fifth, you know, maybe even cleanup because of his ability to drive in runs. But that's the kind of struggles that he's going through and trying to fix, trying to correct. He just seems to be on that rocking horse of in between, whether he's looking for this pitch and he gets the opposite every time or he's just chasing bad pitches. That's part of it, too. He's in bad counts constantly. Right. How much of that is 
Well, maybe I shouldn't say it. Like, maybe I shouldn't phrase it like that. But I, I guess how much of that can you excuse? Because okay, in the first few weeks of the season, you're getting into it. It's early. It's not early anymore. It, it's hardly late. That's for sure. But you're you're coming up on the 40th game of the season, and I feel like by then, that's when things are starting to settle into who you're probably going to be for the season. If the lockout affected people, it was more affecting pitchers and their inability to get work than it was for the position players, in my opinion. Uh, personal experience and how many at-bats do you need to be ready to start the season. I think most of the guys got plenty of at-bats to be ready to start. So this is, uh, you're right, this this is no longer, uh, it's still early, quote-unquote. This is time to have it all figured out and get into some nice grooves. Let's hope, you know, and it's it, we're not picking on Adam by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, with the strikeouts especially, Duvall, Swanson, uh, Ozuna, there's just there's a ton of them, yeah. And and hopefully the Braves can figure out a way to cut back on those. Um, looking at the schedule, I think that after this series, I've got a lot of hope for the next about 40 games, uh, taking you right up to the midway point of the season. And here's why: I've looked at the schedule right up until the fourth of July, and after this series in Milwaukee, let me tell you these teams that the Braves are going to be seeing because we go to Miami after this. You've got the Marlins, Phillies, Marlins again. You got the Diamondbacks, the Rockies, the A's, the Pirates, the Nationals, the Cubs. See where I'm going with this? Yeah. You, you see a lot of uh, second to last place and last place teams. Mm-hmm. You got a tough homestand with the Giants and the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. Then it's back to the Phillies and the Reds. That's what you've got leading up to the 4th of July. And to me, that stretch, now, what we saw last year was incredible. They turned it on the final two months of the season. You can't rely on that happening every single year. I think these next 40 games are enormous for this team to determine what what kind of gear are you going to be able to shift into. If you remain a team that's hovering around 500 through that stretch, then I have to believe that's probably what you are. Um, but in that stretch, I, I think there are, there are opportunities there, should you be healthy, to really turn it on and hopefully hit a gear that we've not seen yet. Yeah, I hope you're right. And and I think you're exactly right in terms of strength of schedule there. Uh, We harp on this all the time, that teams need to beat the teams they should beat. And that will be part of the schedule where that needs to happen especially. And they should take care of business against those teams. Mixed in there, though, as you pointed out, mixed in there's still some some toughies that they'll have to deal with. But uh, take care of business against those other guys and see the record improve, see the confidence build, and then go into the uh, post-All-Star break uh, ready to roll if, uh, if they do take care of those lesser teams. Yeah, because if you can do that, <clears throat> think about where you are on the schedule. Let's say you play pretty good brand of baseball on that 40-game stretch or whatever that is. By the time you get to the end of that, you got the All-Star break coming right after that. Two weeks after that, you got the trade deadline. And last year, this this has always been a theory of mine for teams like the Braves. I don't know that teams like the Dodgers or the Red Sox or the Yankees say this because they can go buy whomever they want in an offseason. For a team like the Braves, I'd love to get out of the gate hot and go wire to wire. That would be awesome. However, for a team like the Braves, if you can just be competitive to the trade deadline, and make a trade or two. I'm not saying like last year. Last year was catching lightning in a bottle with four trades. But if you can be in comp- in in, uh, in contention and make you a couple of deals, get a pitcher, get a bat. I, I, I've seen this team take off in the second half before, and, and I'm not just harping on last year. And that's all I'm looking to do. And if they can just be within striking distance by the time you get to the end of July, make a trade or two, and boom, you might have your recipe once again. Yeah, and a lot of, lot of the schedule at the end – 
as you know, is against the National League East. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be playing teams that head-to-head that you might be in competition for with either division title or with uh, a wild-card spot on the line. So that's going to be instrumental, but hopefully your ball club is in place then that you uh, just keep sending them out there night after night without any uh, large changes or uh, substitutions or injuries to deal with. Um, you know, you mentioned Rosario a minute ago and left-handed bat. This team does need a left-handed bat, and, uh, and I'm very happy to see Acuna back in the lineup tonight. But were he not in the lineup, he has missed, what, five games or six Last Tuesday was the last time he played, so so yeah, so it's been a, a week with some off days in there. Um, it was almost I was almost uh, ready to put him on the injured list uh, just to get another body up here and quit having to play shorthanded. Mm-hmm. And for me, that guy was immediately Drew Waters. I don't know how Drew's doing this week. I just know that when he started playing after he came off the injured list at Gwinnett, uh, he was red hot. Mm-hmm. swinging it great and he may have cooled off some but he's not been to the big leagues yet and he's a switch hitter there's a left-handed bat right there that at least for that period of time that ronald would not be able to play maybe you get a good look at drew waters i say a good look you know maybe for a week but at least it's another left-handed bat that you could plug in if you needed to and i i see opportunities like that that might come along later on that uh bar instead of a trade that's an option for the Braves if, if something comes along like that. Let me ask you about another guy because this has generated lots of talk. Uh, Michael Harris has not been in A very long. He checks a lot of boxes in terms of things that you're looking for. However, he hasn't been in A very long at all. I know the logic would be let him play there at least the first half of the season and then see what are your thoughts on him and if we could potentially see him at the big league uh, level at any time this season. I think so. I'm a big, big fan of his. Uh, I love the way he plays. He's very tough out at the plate every at-bat. What I've seen him in spring training, he never gives up an at-bat. Hustles, steals bases. He's the whole package, and he's going to be an everyday guy for Braves fans in the big leagues in in short order. Will it be this year? Perhaps, you know, later on, uh, late in the season. Um, So he's another left-handed bat, sure. I, I just feel like... He might that might be a little premature for him. Yeah. He's been in A ball. So like you said, he's he's been in double A for six weeks. Let's let's give him a chance to get his feet on the ground there against uh, a higher level of pitching. Uh, my opinion has always been that you really begin to see major league quality type arms once you get out of A ball. Yeah. You start seeing better pitching in double A and certainly in triple A. Yeah, let's see how he fares. All right. Anything else you want to throw in there before we jump into our questions? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, we got Tucker Davidson going tonight uh, in this spot that had been held by Bryce Elder. And I think there were some nominees uh, that you and I and Jay Chad talked about coming into today about who would it be. And we were making our own guesses. But what we saw again last night from Spencer Strider still leads me to believe that he might be the guy for that spot right now. As um, Brian Snitker, I think, alluded to it, I want to put words in Brian's mouth. This is not a quote, but the the need for Spencer now in the bullpen is stronger with with Tyler Matzik going on the injured list today. Right. Bad shoulder. We don't know how long he's going to be on the list. So all of a sudden there's more need for Spencer in the bullpen than there was. 
Uh, but I still think that down the road somewhere it's in the future, Spencer Strider's going to be a starter, and he's going to be a good one. Yeah, I think so, too. And it's been fun to see him out there. There has not been a, a moment, a situation in a game that's been too big for him. He gets in there, he throws strikes, and he's getting better and better. And I love seeing his progressions, whatever role they use him in. Well, we've been talking, I think, since the beginning of the season that uh, maybe the strength of the ball club was the bullpen. It was so good in the postseason. Uh, all the all the guys were back with ex- the exception of um, uh, Alex uh, of uh, Luke Jackson, excuse me, and they miss him too, certainly with his elbow problems. But now with Tyler injured, it, it's it's getting thinner than it was down there. Yeah, and um, AJ Minter has stepped up big time. Boy, has he been good to kind of take over some of that role that Matzik had in a setup role, but. Uh, we got to keep an, our eye on it down there, you know, mm-hmm. uh, with some of the bodies missing that we were going to count on. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's there's nothing more unpredictable, in my opinion, than your pitching staff over the course of a season because you can line them up all day long, your rotation one through five. Here's my bullpen. This guy's going to close. This guy's going to set up. Second you start planning, that thing goes off the rails, even yeah. for the best teams. You know, it's. I always think about something Pete Van Weeren always said. Uh, near the end of spring training, everybody's trying to figure out their roster, you know, in their own heads. You know, this guy's going to make the club. This guy's not. And he said, within a week, you break camp. Within a week of the season, it all goes to hell. <laughs> you know, because somebody gets hurt. Somebody's getting rocked. Something that has to change the, the roster alignment. And Pete said, but all of that that uh, aligning that everybody goes through at the end of camp, trying to get it all put together, he said, it's all for naught. Yeah, it's kind of like trying to predict the Kentucky Derby field 1 through 20. Yeah, And the right. gates open, yeah. and everything's jumbled up, and just hold on tight. <laughs> yeah, the, the charge of the light brigade. But uh, that's all I had to add on before we get to the question. So uh, uh, let's hope we have a good game tonight. Yeah, I hope so, too. Even up this series and maybe get a, uh, a rubber game tomorrow and see if they can win that ball game before they head down to Miami for a series with the Marlins. Know that JC will be joining us here in just a second, so we'll go ahead and jump into our questions. Again, you can shoot us a, a question via email anytime, and um, you can do that by going to Bra- uh, you, uh, just email bravesbooth at gmail.com. That's our email address, and we'll see it there, bravesbooth at gmail.com. We have a long list of questions for tonight. I wanted to throw this one out there. I got this one via Twitter yesterday. And, and we encourage you to send your questions to uh, our email address. Easier to get it there. But um, Chris Domino on our pregame show, uh, he and, and uh, Kevin McAlpin do a great job with our pregame show. And um, Chris shot us a question and said, and I thought this was a great question, who has the best looking slash all-in decorated press box and booth area in the big leagues? And I thought about that, and I thought we get asked all the time who's got the best food and things like Mm -hmm. that. But as far as the nicest facility that we go to, I don't know that anyone's really ever asked us that before. So this is a pretty good one here because we like space, and this is a big, spacious, deep booth. Uh, We had another one in Texas. That was a really big booth over there in in Arlington. That moved into the top five right away, Uh except our vantage point was so high that was a big dis- uh, detractor right. from, from the booth itself but if he's if chris is just talking about the booth that was a really nice one very spacious we could have played uh one on two i would have taken you two guys on in hoops and taken <laughs> care of business but it's funny it, what's good for you and me isn't necessarily good for jay chad this is a great booth for jonathan because he can actually watch the game he's right. in kind of a high perch uh position above us 
and uh, can see the game in other parks, he can. Yeah, Jay Chad joins us now. What, could you see in Arlington? No. So it was very nice. I watched the game thick, off of a monitor. Yeah. But you know, there's a lot of places where I have to watch a game off of a monitor. Uh, for you guys, a park that you guys have a really good vantage point at, that it, it's maybe the worst booth for me is San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. Right? It is tight. It's small. But it's a good but, view for us, but he can't see anything. Yeah, I can't see anything. I look at the back of your head the whole game. Right. Um, but this one's really good. Miami uh, is a good one. And it is nice. Miami's really nice. Miami's really nice. It's high. It's one of the ones that it's it's up there. And we, we can come back to this one. And we are as close to the field here, I think, as is in any booth that we work from mm. in the National League. It's it's wonderful. It's good. It's a great vantage point. Yeah, for all it of is. So I guess from, for Chris, um, San Francisco, the new Texas uh, at Arlington Rangers ballpark. I thought Fenway had a nice booth. It, w- it wasn't as small as I thought it was going to be, and you're right on the plate. Yeah, it's, yes. it's not what you expect because you expect uh, for Wrigley Field, for example. They've done renovations since the last time we were there. Thank God. Uh, it's still really tight, but there's more space in the back, back where I sit. So you, you think Fenway Park, it's an old park, probably not going to have the best broadcast setup, but it's actually, for, for an older park, it, it's really good. The giant yeah. windows, mm-hmm. but because it's different than what you might expect. You might think, for instance, Petco Park, lovely yard. Uh, love going to that ballpark. Our booth is really tight. Yeah. Um, and, and you'd say the same thing about San Francisco. Gorgeous place to watch a game. I love our vantage point there, but we're really tight in that little booth there. So it, what happens is you, you might think that the booth would match the fan experience of the ballpark, and it really couldn't be further from the truth. Right. Um, I think St. Louis has a nice booth. I've enjoyed working there. Um, Cincinnati's okay for me. Yeah, Cincinnati's not bad. So, yeah, it, it, you just never know because – You'll see a brand new park and think, man, that place probably got nice everything. That might not be the case. The booth might not match what the fan sees and right. experiences. Arizona's good. Arizona's mm-hmm. okay. That it's is a, a good little, one. It's a little small, too, but it's good. Um, it's um, it's about 50-50. There's some that are really good and comfortable and some that aren't. It was an afterthought. And these days, um, with the modern ballpark, and I'll say I'll call in the last 10 years, uh, the ballparks are built, I'll say the press box is built above the suite level. Yeah. The suite level takes precedence over the press. Can't argue that, you know, if you're talking about selling suites to, and making them attractive to uh, people to watch the game. I can't argue it, but it has really pushed us constantly higher and higher uh, to the upper reaches of any of the new, newer ballparks. So we are much higher. I liked Houston in the World Series. I thought that was about a pretty good vantage point. Yes. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's a good question. And um, never really thought about it that way. This is from David. He says, uh, hi, guys. I love the podcast. Thanks for doing it. I love hearing you all discuss what you enjoy doing in various MLB cities on road trips, but I've never had a reason to ask until now. My brother and I are meeting up in Milwaukee to catch a game. Never been there before. What do you enjoy doing there? Any food and drink recommendations? Looking forward to it. That's from David in uh, West Lafayette, Indiana. You can give him a, a review, and so can I, on a new restaurant that we turned up. We're talking about turned on to by brian anderson our colleague with the brewers the um sweet diner sweet, sweet diner. diner yeah sweet diner my goodness you want to talk about a good breakfast uh, i can't tell you what street it's on i know it just know it's in that newly rent revamped 
Yeah, that that old ward or yeah. what a third public old, market, public market area. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's great. I've got a list that I keep of because I'm a big breakfast guy, and because that's really the the one meal that you can control. I guess you can do whatever you want for lunch, but I like to get up and go get a good breakfast. I got a list of places that are my favorite places on the road. For breakfast, Sweet Diner made my list this morning. I'll bet it, it did. was delicious. When we got into town Sunday, a group of us went to Harbor House, which is right there on Lake Michigan. Yeah, it's a good spot here. Uh, really good seafood. Uh, and then last year in the playoffs, we all enjoy going to Carnivore, which is a steakhouse in downtown, not located too far from our hotel. Get the butternut squash risotto if you go. Yeah, it's good. And Eddie Martinez, we went there last year. Eddie Martinez can't uh, can't beat it. Great steaks. Carnivores, great steaks, as J. Chad just said. Uh, the Mason Street Grill is attached to the hotel where we stay. We stay at the Fister Hotel when the lights are on. Um, <laughs> and the Mason Street Grill is a nice place to eat, too. Yeah, it is. Good lunches. Went in there after uh, game one of the NLDS last year. That place was that was a place to be. Yeah. It was good. They must have had 50 people in that kitchen, man. Yeah, and they usually have somebody playing music, either a guitar mm-hmm. or a piano bar or something like that going on. So it's a good place. Got a question, JC? Uh, yeah, this question, let me find it, comes from uh, Scott. He said, did you guys ever get a shower yesterday, and what's the longest you've ever went without a shower? Ooh. <laughs> God. Yeah, uh, the answer is yes. Uh, when I got back to the hotel, I was just there's just a trail of clothes leading to the shower. <laughs> Couldn't wait to get in there, and um, and I enjoyed it so much. I got up this morning, took another one as fast as I could. You <laughs> went to catch up. Yeah. So, uh, how long? Well, I don't know. I I'd be if if I really knew, I'd probably be grossed out. Yeah. So I mean, if I go a day, that, that's like, ugh. So there you go. Yeah, I don't like to go multiple days. I mean, I can go a couple if I have to. I think the place where you you really might miss a day or so would be spring training because you might have to get up early to go to one of the road games. You come back, you're wiped out, you fall asleep. Mm-hmm. And you just think, oh, I'm just going to cash yeah. in for the rest of the night. I, I have to have one. I have to have one before I go to work. But yeah, like yesterday, for example, we didn't have power at the hotel. We didn't have water. Uh, nothing was working. And I stood in the shower before I came. It was freezing cold, and little water droplets were just barely coming out of the faucet up top. But I, I was in there long enough to get my hair washed and my body clean because huh. uh, you guys would have had a grouchier than normal me yesterday had I not had a shower yeah, before work. Yeah, trouble. Yeah, but like I said to Snit yesterday, when the water comes out of that, that shower head, and as far as it takes to hit Jonathan in the head, you know, it's moving at a good clip. So <laughs> that water was splashing pretty hard off his noggin. <laughs> this is from Heath. Heath. Heath says, do you guys think Dansby will take a hometown deal and be a lifelong brave? If not, do you see him signing with another team and who would it be? Thanks, you guys. You get, No, thanks. You guys are awesome. Thank you for that, Heath. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I think... Last year, and this might be apples to oranges, but last offseason, there's a lot of things that didn't happen that I thought would happen. And it kind of changed my mind on how this whole thing plays out in the offseason with the business of baseball. Thinking about Freddie Freeman, I thought for sure he'd be a brave the rest of his life. That'd be that. Didn't happen. So it's really hard to predict these things when it comes to a guy going into a free agent year. 
A lot of that, I think, for Dansby depends on what happens the next four months. How does this season go? What else is out there? How active do the Braves want to shop? I'd say that everything's on the table when it comes to free agency. And if they could get Dansby back at a, at a price that they like, I'm sure that they'd probably go at it. But if he's asking for a price that they're not 100% sure about, and there's some other guys out there that might kick the tires on some other guys, I don't know. So I don't want to... I think if you had asked me that same question about Freddie this time last year, I'd have said, he'll be a Brave. I'm not worried about it. Right. That didn't happen. So that's kind of changed my mind on how this whole thing plays out with free agency in the offseason. If nothing else, the Freddie Freeman uh, thing opened everybody's eyes of what could happen that you didn't anticipate. Uh, to my knowledge, correct me if I'm wrong here, all of the – higher level shortstops last year that got so much money nobody re-signed with their same team right yeah everybody went somewhere else some of them even switched positions right think about trevor story going to play second base for the red sox yes uh and marcus simeon uh is now playing second for texas too uh so keep that in mind uh if dansby's looking for that kind of payday that those guys got uh that's not going to come from atlanta in my estimation I don't think that'll happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if he wants to stay with the Braves, it probably would require uh, what you might term a hometown discount by comparison to the numbers that were handed out this past off offseason. Uh, and who else? I don't know. I don't know who else needs a shortstop out there. That'd be hard to speculate at this point. Twins might. I mean, Correa's yeah. got all the opt-outs. Yeah. Um, yeah, that'll be interesting because – Obviously, the Rangers don't need one. <laughs> what no. they sank into into Seager last year. No, but yeah, I, I think it's interesting. You get through the season, and I, I'm done with trying to predict free agents and what they may or may not do because the season ends, and then the the season of free agency it, it's so unpredictable now. And um, it's easy to picture Dansby in a Braves uniform long term, but there's there's no guarantee that takes place. See, and you think about it from Dansby's, Dansby's perspective that you know he has the option to re-sign or not well guess what braves have options too right or at least you would assume they do what are their options do they kind of extend themselves to keep dansby uh because they don't see anyone else out there that they think could fill that role like he does or do they see someone else they've got their eye on and say wait a minute i want to know if this guy's available right Uh, so the braves have options too one would assume i mean think about if Trey Turner doesn't get an extension before the end of the season, mm-hmm. or if Correa wants to opt out. I mean, I, I think a lot of it also Bogarts depends on too. I think, yeah, yeah. Um, who who else is available out there? I mean, if you go into it and there aren't too many other, let's say the Dodgers extend Trey Turner and Correa is, is back in Minnesota and Xander Bogarts in, in August signs some deal with Boston. Well, then the, the Braves will say, well, we better go ahead and grab ours because there's not going to be anybody else out there that plays that position. But if all those guys go into free agency, you might say, oh, well, let's we, we like Dansby, but maybe we want to check some other guys out. That wouldn't shock me at all, to be quite honest, yeah. after what we saw last year. And, and we kind of have to go with what we know uh, about Alex Anthopoulos and how he operates. Um, he, he did wonders by signing Acuna and Albies to extensions at a tender age. You know, right. uh, one, one might say, boy, they, they've got these guys cheap now for the last next several years. Well, didn't look cheap when he signed them. Right. It was just smart. Yeah. and. Um, Alex is Alex is shrewd that way, and it remains to be seen too. Uh, and we have a question in here. I'll find it in a second uh, from a 
somebody who wants to know, do you think the Braves will um, uh, give extensions, early extensions to avoid arbitration and free agency to guys like Max Freed? Uh, I think I think that's probably a consideration, just a matter of whether or not uh, it takes two to tango. Mm-hmm. What do you got, JC? I think you guys pretty much covered it. As far as Dansby goes, you know, I would just remind people, too, I know fans get attached to certain players, and you certainly understand that, but it is their career. It's their decision, and they have very few opportunities to capitalize financially. And so if a guy goes somewhere else because he gets a better deal, that's his decision, and, you know, it's kind of hard to blame him maybe in some ways for doing that. And, you know, I wouldn't go and tell someone else in whatever job that they have that they should take less to stay there if they're given a better opportunity elsewhere. So, you know, I think, as Joe kind of put it to, it takes two to tango. Yeah, it does. What color speedo did Joe pack for Miami? And will you guys please post pics? Big Mr. Simpson fan, Brenda. Wow, Brenda. Hello, Brenda. <laughs> oh, boy. I don't think Brenda really cares what color the Speedo is so long as you're actually in the Speedo. Right. Well, that was just kind of tongue-in-cheek, Brenda. I don't I don't own a Speedo. I Yet. Guess, I guess I could. Yeah, I guess. You got an off day. Plenty of time to go shopping. I could borrow Jonathan's. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. I don't have one, so I don't have a color, but. I appreciate you thinking that I actually might have one. If you had one, what color would you have? Oh, it would probably be some kind of animal skin, you know, <laughs> zebra. Cheetah. Cheetah, something like that. Yeah. That's if what, I walk like. out of the hotel in the off day and you're at the pool at a zebra speedo, I'm going <laughs> right back up to my room and I'm staying the rest of the day. <laughs> and, and just pull the curtains open enough to see if I'm still there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, you're still there. <laughs> Uh, um, let's see here. Oh, thank you, Brenda, for that. That made me feel good. Um, from Jim, man, y'all are crushing it with this podcast, and I love listening to you uh, here on the radio to call each game while you are true professionals. In light of the supposed comments the broadcaster made in the White Sox Guardians game earlier last week, I'm curious if you've ever let an off-color comment slip on the air, Jim. You know what, Jim? Uh, Ben just played that for me just a little bit ago. I'd, I'd heard it, and, and I was kind of like laughing uh, a little bit at somebody saying that, but it actually was a combination of two guys saying something that came out sounding like he said, are you blanking me? Right, right. And that was not the case. The outfielder was Sheets. Mm-hmm. So you had, you had one broadcaster saying Sheets, and the other broadcaster saying, are you kidding me? And the SH mm-hmm. from Sheets went over the K in kidding. So, I mean, and as I thought this was perfectly put, it was a one in a million auditory illusion hmm. uh, between uh, Tom Hamilton and uh, Rick Manning. Is there? Um, the, well, the other part of that question, and, and if he, and I'm going to give those guys. Uh, a pass because as you played it for me, I realized he didn't say what everybody thought he said. Right. Um, I don't think I have. Uh, I may have had a slip here and there. I mean, think about how many words we're saying and how fast we're spitting them out in the course of live baseball and live radio and TV. I can tell you there was one that Skip uttered uh, that he told stories about all the time. 
and it had to do with the Hall of Fame third baseman for the Philadelphia Phillies, Mike Schmidt. And Skip, calling the game, mispronounced his name and said the word that you would expect to rhyme with that. And as Skip said, when you know you've said something like that, the worst thing you can do is stop and try to correct it. You just keep right on going. And then everybody thinks, well, maybe he didn't say that. Mm. You know, he's, he didn't even comment on it. He just went right on. So Skip said, I talked straight through for like a minute without taking a breath, just trying to <laughs> continue on. And as soon as I stopped, Ernie Johnson said, what's that third baseman's name again? <laughs> And Skip said, we didn't talk for like three minutes. We were laughing so hard. Uh, the game just went on, and we couldn't say a, we couldn't utter a word. So yeah, it happens, and it's unfortunate, but you move on. Well, there was – and I'm, I'm right there with you. I, have, I can't remember ever doing something like uh, he's talking about. There was a play last year. There was a, it was in the NLCS last year, and I had – I was uh, – I think it was either an Adam Duvall or Eddie Rosario home run. I said pitch, but the P might not have been as sharp as I wanted it to. It wasn't real poppy. Right. <laughs> and there are some people that tweeted me immediately. Hmm. So that's the best call we've ever heard. You put, you, they thought I said, you know, uh -huh. a B instead of a P in front of the word pitch. And I was like, I didn't say that. I said pitch. But mm -hmm. if I, I went back and listened to it. And if you listen to it, you can hear I said pitch. But if you just... If casually casually listen to it you might say wait 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 wait, did he just say that <laughs> i said so he just nailed that pitch yeah and um yeah everybody thought i said uh another word so i thought that was pretty funny well i'm, I'm gonna make a not so bold prediction here that that's coming that the verbiage and the loose language uh that's prevalent in society today it's gonna it's gonna leak into radio probably tv too but it, it's going to be allowed in fact i hear a, a radio show nationwide on sirius xm all the time where every word in the book is used uh -huh. and cursed so it's going to happen and it's going to become casual and, and not such a big deal and that's not too far off yeah unfortunately uh when you guys travel what do you miss most about home that's for man my house, my wife, the dog, the, the, the things you would probably expect. Yeah, I think so, too. My girlfriend, that's really about it. I mean, I love travel. I love getting up and going and packing a bag and seeing different cities, but I uh, definitely love to see her when I get back. Yeah, same here. Same here. And as long as I've been doing this, that's never changed. Uh, certainly, it was a little different when I had younger kids at home, and so much was left on Kathy's shoulders that there's a guilt factor there for a lot of that. Um, but, uh, yeah, same as you guys. Yeah. Uh, this is from Chris in Maine. I love, getting, I love getting letters and questions, baseball questions from people in Maine. I, do, I, I don't know why, but they're so far up there. It's like they're in Canada. You know, they're up there closer probably to Montreal when the Expos were there than they are, were to Boston, for crying out loud. Anyway. Hi, guys. Thank you for all your hard work and all that you do for us Braves fans every day. My question is, how would you define the Braves' philosophy over the years? Does their attitude and effort of perseverance give us hope that they will find a way like they always seem to do? 
Thanks and stay well. Chris from Maine. Thanks, Chris. It's a long season. I mean, I've got a lot of hope that they'll be able to fight through this and, and be contenders and reach the level that we expected from them. But I think there is year to year. I know that different people are in charge and it's a different front office and things like that. And it used to be described as the Braves way. I don't know that it's quite detailed like that or, or really explained like that with that title anymore. But I think it's a lot of the similarities of what the Braves way was and how we expect players to handle themselves now is very similar. So uh, you just want to win and um, getting guys out there, a good bunch out there, a good team and, and winning baseball games. And uh, I think this team can do that this season. I think as far as hope goes, you don't want to rely on, rely on something that happened last year where you don't get to 500 until August and then you take off and you wind up winning the World Series. You don't want to rely on that. You don't want to count on that. You need to win some games. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if you want hope, look no further than last year. As far as the organizational philosophy goes, I think Joe's probably best suited to answer that since he's been around the longest and seen so much more than I have. Pitching and defense, boys. I mean, it's been the hallmark of this organization since the early 90s when John Sherholtz and Bobby Cox collaborated to put the team on that good run. I don't think that's changed. Uh, it, it starts with pitching, and that starts with good starting pitching. But pitching and defense carry you through rough times. Let's think about this real quick. The last two games, the Braves have struck out 16 times in each of those games. They lost the first one to San Diego in extra innings, right? Right. 11 innings. They were in the ball game. Why? Pitching. Now, they didn't play good defense, but they had good pitching. Mm-hmm. Last night, the error that was made by uh, Olsen didn't prove to be costly. They struck out 16 more times in nine innings. They're averaging a nine strikeouts per game. And what happened? They got to be one to nothing. Yeah. They got to be one to nothing on a wild pitch. Pitching and defense keep you in ball games. That's not going to change. The offense is going to come and go. Right now, it's gone, uh, but it'll come back. Yeah. So that's the philosophy. That's what we have confidence in, that the pitching and defense are going to be good enough to carry this team until the offense gets going. And I have utter confidence, just as I did decades ago uh, in John Sherholtz, I have confidence in Alex Anthopoulos and his staff to do whatever they have to do at the right time to put this club in a position to get back to the postseason. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. By the way, this is a perfect time for this question because the roof is currently closing at the ballpark. They just closed the outfield panels. Now the roof is closing overhead. And this is from Bud. What's your favorite part of American Family Field? My favorite part, Bud, is when the roof is open and now it's closing. So I don't think we're going to see the, the roof open the rest of our stay here. Yeah, probably not. But this is a unique roof. Uh, it has a pivot, you know, right behind home plate, a gigantic uh, monolithic device that causes the roof to close like a clamshell. It doesn't retract from one side to the other. It pivots in a circle to close up like a clam, uh, to make it look like a clamshell. Uh, I like that aspect of it because so much of the field is uncovered when it's, when it's wide open. Um, and you can't beat the brats, and you can't beat the old sausage race. <laughs> That's right. I like our broadcast booth. We, we talked about that a little bit earlier, but I think the booth here is really, really good, and the people here are always so welcoming and nice, and it's a great place to come and work. 
Furthermore, Brian says, do you guys know who the chick is that sits behind the plate in Milwaukee? And can you ask TV to show her more? Brian, that is front row Amy. She's been around for a long time, and I'm sure you're going to Google that. So best of luck with that one. Yeah, and we know who you're talking about. <laughs> While we're talking about American Family Field, this question comes from Ricky. He said, American Family Field looks really cool on TV. How many flagpoles are there? At the ballpark? I guess so. Um, looks like two. Right center field. Yeah, right uh-huh. center field. Yep. That's all I see. Yeah, me too. Uh, because they don't have their pennants here on, you know, their, their division titles or anything like that. They're not on flagpoles. They're just, uh, I guess, on, on signs around the ballpark. Yeah, just yeah. two flagpoles. And uh, I like the way they've displayed their retired numbers, too. Mm-hmm. High where everybody can see them. You know what's interesting about the retired numbers? There are multiple guys up there that when I think of them, I don't think of them as brewers. I think of, of Yount and Molitor as brewers, uh-huh. but not Raleigh Fingers, not Hank Aaron. Obviously, Jackie Robinson is retired in every ballpark. Uh, but they've got Raleigh Fingers, Jackie Robinson, Hank Aaron, Bud Selig, Paul Molitor, Bob Euchre, and Robin Yount. So maybe only just two guys, I guess. But I, I, don't, I don't think of, of Raleigh and, and Hank as brewers. Yeah, and for for Euchre, it's not a number. It's a baseball with a 50 on it to commemorate his 50 years uh, with uh, being in Milwaukee. So uh, they didn't retire a number for him, but I like what they did. They did retire number one for Bud Selig, uh-huh. uh, the former owner. Um, they could have put a big crown out there, you know, as the king, King Selig. He was a commissioner, right. too, uh, instead of retiring the number one, but... That's the way they chose to do it. He's number one. Yeah. And Raleigh, you're right about Raleigh Fingers. And, you know, he won a Cy Young here. Raleigh Fingers won a Cy Young. That was, what, 82? I think early, so. Because they had back-to-back Cy Young winners. Yeah. I I don't think I realized that until uh, 81. 81. 81. And then uh, Vukovic won yeah. the next year, I think. Let me look. Because uh, when Corbin Burns yes. won last year, yeah. he was their first one since the early 80s. Yeah, 82 for Vukovic. Uh, but you, you think of Raleigh Fingers with the, I mean, you just associate him with the Oakland A's, yeah. of course. Yeah. But he did win a Cy Young here. What's next? Got one, JC? Uh, yeah, I can find one. I got one here for you, Ben. All right. Because I don't know how to answer this, really. It's from uh, Benjamin Ray from Florence, Alabama. And he starts it with, fellow broadcaster, how do you guys take care of your vocal cords during the year? What are some tricks of the trade to use to stay fresh for 160-plus broadcasts? And how much time goes into your game prep? What are things you do to prepare for broadcasts? So a multiple question item there. But first of all, uh, about your voice. Do you do anything special? No, nothing special. Just go to bed. Get your sleep. Um, That's the best thing I can tell you because when you're doing baseball, you're doing a game every single night. So this isn't football where you can blow it out and then you've got all week to rest. You might have a game like last night where it's one nothing, and the only run that, that took place in the game was in your inning. I had nothing that took place in my innings. Then you have games like we had on this last homestand where we had a walk-off and we had uh, the, the, game, the, the second game versus the, uh, the Padres, first game versus the Padres. And what I'm getting at is there are lots of, of big action in those games where you're raising your voice for extended periods of time, uh, sometimes even yelling, you know, if a play is large enough. 
So you just want to make sure that you're rested. And if you have plenty of rest, you're getting your sleep every single night, you should be in good shape. As far as prep goes, it depends on what game you're talking about. If it's the first game of a series, Benjamin, I do a lot more prep for game one, and a lot of what I do for game one will last for games two and games three. You don't get to everything that you prep for. In fact, you might get to a third of it in that one ball game. That's good news because we're here for three or sometimes four games, and you've got information that you can use later in the series. So I'll probably put in between two and three hours of prep altogether for one series. And um, I'd imagine that by the end of the series, I've used probably three-fourths of that. That is such good advice. Um, I, and I was victim of it when I first started, and I have tried to warn, um, I'll say beginner broadcasters, young guys who over-prepare. Uh, they write down so much stuff, and their scorebook is full of notes. Sometimes so many they can't remember what they wrote. They can't even tell what they wrote. It's not about the volume. It's, it's about being prepared to comment on something that might happen. And I, I'll use uh, John Smoltz to be the first to, to tell you this. When he first started and he was doing games with us, he would come and sit between uh, Chip and me, and he would have a legal pad just full of stuff. I mean, handwritten, full of stuff. And I was proud of the fact that he had taken the time to do that kind of homework. But he couldn't wait to get it all in. Yeah. And by the bottom of the second inning, he was done. <laughs> now he Ran he, through he, everything. He was, he was, he'd used it all up. And I'd say, it, it, not all of that is pertinent to what's going on with mm-hmm. the game. You, it, you've got it there, and you can use it as it becomes uh, important in the game. Right. But you've got to pace yourself a you do. Bit And there, there's an evolution to it. You learn to do it. That's why I think it's so important for broadcasters to cut their teeth in the minor leagues and, and have rep after rep after rep after rep, and a lot of times doing it by yourself. Uh, there's, there's nothing that helped me more than doing minor league ball, nine innings solo, 140 games mm-hmm. because you learn so much not just about broadcasting but about preparation when to use what and then just being around other good broadcasters and that's helped me a ton that in, in other words the way that i prep now the way that i broadcast now is different from what i did 10 years ago five years ago because you're learning and, and getting better and better so there will be a lot of things that i'm prepared for and I do, I write a lot down because that's how I retain uh, information. When I write something down, that's how I remember it. Right. And then if a certain player comes up, I'll remember I wrote this down about this player in this situation, and boom, there's the nugget that I can drop at the perfect time. But you just don't start doing that immediately. You have to learn how to do that. And I think there's a steady balance, just like how a pitcher might go about uh, getting ready for a start, how he stretches, what his bullpen's like, what he does the day before a start, how he eats, how he prepares. I think uh, for a rookie pitcher versus a guy who's been in the big leagues 15 years, it's very different. He might do things significantly differently 12, 13 years into his career than he did his rookie year. I think it's the same thing for us. Uh, I think you start to learn, okay, I want to do more of this, less of that, prep this way, cut that out, and you start to evolve and uh, hopefully get better and better at it every single year. For me, uh, one of the things that I started doing a long time ago was looking at the opponent because I feel like our fans are pretty up-to-date on what our guys are doing, you know, who's hot, who's not. But they may not know who's hot and who's not for the opponent when they come to town. 
and it's not always the obvious guy. Uh, I, I don't know whose team I'll call on. Let's say modern day. Let's go with the Dodgers because you know those names. Uh, the obvious names would probably be Freeman and Turner. Uh, last year it was Seeger and Bellinger, etc. Well, I want to know if if are those guys hot, and if they're not, then who is and who's right. carrying their team? Because our fans, generally speaking, might not know that. Here's the guy you got to watch out for. Right. Here's the guy that's come into this series on a roll, not not the All Star. Perfect example. This series right now, you know, Yelich and, and such, you know, Teles, Colton Wong's been ripping the cover off the ball. Yes. And yeah. that's a perfect example of something you dropped in last night. Here's what this guy's been doing. And uh, there you have it. Because if I'm the listener and I don't know the Brewers, maybe that's not the guy I expect to be hot, but he is. And mm-hmm. we get to throw that out there. Yeah, I didn't know that about Colton Wong. Joe just said, well, it's only because I wanted to know. You know, that same what I just told you. I used to discuss this with the big three when they were still pitching. And I would ask them, do you guys look at this? And all three of them to a man said, you bet. Yeah. I want to know who's swinging the bat well right now. You might be hitting 220 for the year, you know, in in late July or August. But he might be on a real tear since the All-Star break, for example. Right. And I want to know who that guy is. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Uh, We have time for one or two more, guys. Sure. This question comes from... Trent in Elk Grove, California. Good to hear from you again, Trent. He said, what do, you got, uh, what do you guys think has had the bigger impact on the Braves' start this season, the shortened off season or the shortened spring training? Well, it, it wasn't a shortened off season because of the lockout, so the length of the off season actually wound up being the same. Uh, and then the second question is, who is the best player who you thought was, uh, you, who you saw play, who you thought was going to be a stud in the majors but never made it? Read that last part again. Who is the best player you saw play who you thought was going to be a stud in the majors but never made it? Hmm, that's a really good question. Never made it as in wasn't a stud in the majors or never made the big leagues altogether? Probably never made the majors, period. Ooh, that's a tough one. I'd, yeah. pr- I'd probably have to go with myself on that one. <laughs> you know, I've heard that about you, that that's all you think about is yourself. So, uh <laughs> I didn't even get a response. <laughs> uh, I played with some guys in the minor leagues that were really good players, and they just didn't quite cut the mustard when uh, they went up higher on that scale. Like I was talking about a minute ago, you get to, you get to double A, you start kind of getting a sense of what the big leagues might be about, and it starts thinning them out real fast. Uh, I played – I'm going to go back to college. I played with a guy at Oklahoma – named Kenny King. He was an all-state player, came to Oklahoma on a full ride and all that stuff, and he could hit. He was a switch hitter. He was a Pete Rose disciple. He loved Pete Rose and tried to play like him and hustle like him, hit first slides, all the, all that. But he didn't really have a position. Uh, started in the outfield, uh, moved to first base. He DH'd some. And it wasn't because he was some big clod that just couldn't run or anything. Uh, he just wasn't that gifted defensively, but he could hit, and he made all Big Eight. He was he led the Big Eight conference at that time in hitting, and the the draft comes and goes, and he didn't even get drafted. And I I was blown away by that. I thought, here's a guy who can hit, 
You'll find a place for him. American League, find a place for him. Uh-huh. DH, whatever. He can flat out hit from both sides of the plate. Didn't even get drafted. That was one of the biggest surprises of my life, uh, I think. And he was just crushed. Yeah. He just, that's all he wanted was to play, and he was just crushed. Uh, so I never figured that one out. Yeah, it's a good one. I, I don't know if I could really think about anybody right off the top of my head because I, I can think of guys that I saw in the minor leagues that I thought were going to be studs in the big leagues, and they got to the big leagues. They just weren't the player that I thought that they would be in the big leagues. Um, I remember in high school, I went to a college baseball regional. This was at Mississippi State. They played Washington. Washington was one of the teams in the regional. And they had a guy that spent some time in the big leagues, but I thought he was going to be just lights out. A guy named Chris Magruder. And he was in the big leagues for about four or five seasons, bounced around. I swear in that regional, that guy came to the plate every time and laced a double the opposite way of the gap, hitting bombs. I'm like, who is this guy? And he, he stands out just because you'll see guys like that, high school, college, maybe even low levels of minor leagues, and they are just studs at that level. And you think that guy is going to do X, Y, and Z at the, at the highest level and just shows you how hard it is to do that. So hard. At this level, at the highest level. And I just use him as an example because – I've seen lots of guys like that where you thought he will be this. And they'll get to the big leagues, and they'll hang out for a little while and maybe bounce around two or three teams. But they're just some guys you see where you swear that guy's going to be a 300 hitter in the big leagues for a dozen years. I got a perfect guy on that. Uh, He went in the Fred McGriff trade. So longtime Braves fans will remember him. He was on that Greenville, South Carolina team that won 100 games, I think. They were so great, all of them. But this guy had a can't-miss tag on him, Melvin Nieves. He was in the trade, got went to the Padres, played some in the big leagues for the Padres, but never the guy that everybody gassed about when he got traded, thinking, right. oh, no, not, not Nieves. Yeah. Give him up. And he was never that guy that we all thought he was going to be. We had a guy in Mississippi, I don't know, this is 2008, Willie Cabrera. He was an outfielder. And Willie could straight up hit, man. I mean, he came to the plate good at bats. Wasn't a big power guy, but just was hitting at double A. And I thought, well, this guy's going to be a nice piece on somebody's bench or maybe even get to play regularly. Just didn't really happen. And there, there are so many stories about guys who surprise you and get to the big leagues and do really, really well and stick around for a while. And then you got other guys like that. And I don't mean to pick on these guys because it is so hard that you just think even at double A and you're that close that you're going to get there and, and you're going to be a really nice player. And it just for some reason at triple A or whatever it is, just fizzles out and they just never reach that. And I, and I hate that for those players. I can't imagine how frustrating that might be to be rolling so well for an extended period of time at, at, a ball or even double A or triple A, and it just never clicks in the big leagues. Think about some of the players uh, that get drafted real high out of college, uh, whether it was with the Braves or anybody else, and they get sent to A ball. Maybe not rookie league, but they get sent to a lower A classification and tear it up. Play well, good numbers, and that's what you want to see is a guy get some confidence. But you got to remember he's playing against guys maybe two years younger than him that don't right. have any experience. This guy's coming out perhaps out of a major college program playing in the SEC or the like, and then all of a sudden they get to double A or even high A, and it's not like 
what you thought he was going to continue on because the competition got better, the quality got better, and they never quite improve on that. Yeah, that's why I don't understand how scouts can be as successful as they are. Amazing. I mean, inexact science, that doesn't do it justice to be to, to watch high school kids, college kids, rookie level, level kids, A-ball, double-A. Even guys at double A that you think, okay, he's he's hitting three ten at double A, can't he, miss, can't miss, and it doesn't happen. I don't know how scouts do what they do, and I'm sure maybe they look at us and say, well, I don't know how you broadcast and do what you do, or I don't, you know, whatever it may be. They just have a brain for it, they have a heart for it. But but scouts who can evaluate players consistently and nail it blow my mind because I I could never in a million years uh, do anything like what they do because I think that is so hard to watch players, scout players, evaluate players, uh, because it is such an inexact science, and be good at it. And um, they're obviously in the right profession because there's so many great scouts out there, and they just see a player, and they know. Um, uh, for, for both guys that are overrated, guys that are underrated, and it, it's incredible how they do it. I still think there should be a, a wing, not just a you know a special roped off area but a wing in the hall of fame for for scouts yeah i think i think so too that's a really good point this is from paula who must be a good friend of jonathan's ben and joe <laughs> you guys pick on j chat a lot does he think it's funny mm-hmm. sometimes i feel bad for him well thanks paula sometimes we make him cry actually but we don't talk about that very much um is he crying now probably no in this business, and I'm going to extend it to on the field and off the field, if you don't have a thick skin, you're not going to make it. That can't miss thing we were just talking about, yeah. you're going to miss every time. If you don't have a thick skin, and especially in our booth, and you can't take it, then just pack up and go home and don't come back. Because we pretty much kill each other all the time. Yeah. It's yeah. just when we kill J-Chat, it's, it's typically on the air. And he doesn't have a mic, then people can't see what he's doing and the signs he's giving us for right. doing it. <laughs> He tells us we're number one all the time. All the, all the time. And I, I took that to mean that he's really liking us, but maybe not. that's not always the case. Jonathan, what's your take on this? I think it's hilarious. It's, it's funny. Uh, it makes me laugh all the time. Uh, I think it would be weird if you guys didn't give me a hard time. If you didn't give me a hard time, I would think you probably didn't like me. That's right. That's yeah. right. And, and if we thought you were sensitive, then we would – we wouldn't have as much fun because, oh, God, we don't want to hurt his feelings again. <laughs> so that's that's what makes it fun. That's what this whole travel thing, we're together so often, so long. A second family, as my wife used to refer to my other family. Well, that's a, that's a good thing. That's a compliment to any of us that we can hang in there and take it from each other. Yeah, it means we're having a good time. Yeah. And you got to do that in order to get through 162 games and, and spring training before that. And we have a, a blast doing it. Uh, let me let me give you one. I, was, I worked with a guy in Seattle and um, one of my old teammates uh, in Seattle, Glenn Abbott from Arkansas. Great guy. Great family. But he had a description that he either made up or heard from somebody else about a guy who had a real good slider. And he labeled it a bowel locking slider. Well, that's very descriptive. Right. I mean, you, you realize that guy's got a good one. <laughs> <laughs> so I've used it from time to time. Uh-huh. And I used it first in Seattle when I was working there. And the guy I was working with, his wife heard it and immediately called him, told him, I better not ever hear you say that. 
Really? Don't you ever say that. And so then I used it more than I <laughs> I would have normally just to see if I could get him to say it. Yeah. But, but he never would. But I just thought that was interesting that one of the guy's wives would say, mm-mm. So, okay, that's all. Yeah. That's, that's the only thing I got there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we're out of time. You got Snit coming up in a little while, don't you? Yeah, I do. What are you going to ask him about? Uh, yeah. Who has the best bowel locking slider you ever saw? <laughs> That'd be a good one. Okay. Right out of the box. I'm going to use it today. Yeah. T- tune in. All right. Well, that is our show for this week. I, th- I think we just set a record here on our 25th episode. I think that's the longest episode we've ever had. It was fun. Yeah, it really was. And uh, next time we do this, I think we'll be back at home, perhaps. So uh, we'll see. This is game number two of this series tonight, Braves and the Brewers. So another game here tomorrow. And then uh, we head to Miami for the weekend. Got an off day on Thursday. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday in Miami before we go back home. So thank you, as always, for being out there, whether it's uh, for the podcast or tuning in every single night on the Braves Radio Network. We appreciate it. Till next time, for Joe, for Jay Chad, I'm Ben. This has been From the Braves Booth.